0: Behold, the genius Lanny Popple, the world's smartest man. Sometimes what goes on behind the scenes is stronger than the
1: soap opera on the video school. Hi gang, this is Mean Gene Okerlund. Welcome to the Genius Cast with Lanny Popple and J.P. Zarka. Both, as you know, are very dear, close, personal, longtime friends. Ladies and gentlemen, the poet and limerick writing,
2: motivational speaking brother of WWE Hall of Famer, Randy Savage,
1: the genius, Leaping Lanny Poffo!
0: Hello again, wrestling fans. This is Lanny Poffo. Welcome to the Genius Cast, and this is my very, very special co-host, J.P. Zarka, ProWrestlingStories.com when you hear the word special you think oh
2: you want to pat him on the head
0: but <laughs> well, i meant it in the best way
2: i appreciate that lanny how you
0: been since our last episode i'm doing great and so is our episodes you know uh, we are getting so popular and i owe it all to you and i want to thank you and uh, everybody says what a great well-produced slick show we've got and uh this doesn't come easy you do it all and uh you promised me you would and you have and uh How many times do you meet people that do what they say they were going to do? Hmm. Not too often.
2: Well, I appreciate that, Lanny. This has come from the heart. I'm enjoying every minute of this, and we get to talk to legends like Jeff Jarrett, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, Eugene, and of course, this week, we've got Sean Waltman on our show. Now, last week, we had somebody that maybe not many people know a whole lot about, but Keith, he's played such a pivotal role in sharing wrestling history over the years. He was co-writer of Ric Flair's, Freddie Blassie's, Superstar Billy Graham's autobiographies, not to mention the Iron Sheik unreleased autobiography. He's been writing for TV, NBC, Bleacher Report, WWE's yearly encyclopedias, you name it. This guy's heard about and been around the business for decades, and he's got a story to share. You know, going back and thinking about the Iron Sheik unreleased book, man, by all accounts, this is not a good human being outside of the ring. But I have to admit, I really want to read his book. What do you think it's going to take for us to see this book hit the light of day?
0: It's never going to happen.
2: Man, we should do some type of petition to get this book out there. I know some of the stories in that book are a bit ugly, but, you know, I think every story needs to be shared, good, bad, and ugly, and in between.
0: Well, that's what we're here for, for innuendo.
2: Speaking of, a few episodes back, we had talked about Dale Mann. Now, he was a promoter in Kentucky back in the, uh, was it the 70s and 80s?
0: Oh, yeah, I guess he was promoting forever.
2: Yeah, he's been promoting for a while, and the story that we had heard was that he had murdered one of his referees, and we, we talked about it, and somebody who had known Dale really well, somebody who had worked for him, Jonathan
0: Dobbs, he reached out to you. That's right, and I said, listen, if you have anything to say, why don't you say it on my show? He said, well, okay, and I said, listen, you're not in a court of law. This is just a podcast, so loosen up a little. So, anyway, (laughs) we'll see what we got out of him, okay?
2: We'll see what we got out of him. You did a bit of an impromptu interview with him, and he shared his thoughts, and we're going to play that for you guys now.
0: Jonathan Dobbs, you are on the Genius Cast, and you are from Monticello, Kentucky, now living in Henderson, Kentucky. Is that right? Yes, sir. Well, we've been talking about Dale Mann, and um, you're a man that claims he knows all about him and his little trouble that he got into. Of course, all the players are dead, the victims are dead, and the murderer is dead. So if you don't mind, please tell me everything you know about Dale Mann and his murders.
1: Well, uh, the one, the referee, uh, they ruled it self-defense. Uh, even the guy's brother testified for Dale that It was self-defense. And, of course, that guy worked for Dale later on as a wrestler.
0: What was his name?
1: Dale Peterson.
0: And about when did he die?
1: I want to say probably 87, 86, 87.
0: Okay, what was the reason that uh, Dale Mann murdered him?
1: Now, that I never did hear, but you know how locker room gossip is. You hear everything in there, but...
0: uh, Jonathan, you are not in a court of law. Okay, so just tell me what you think you know.
1: I I think it was over either a woman or payoffs.
0: Okay, and what about this other person that Dale Mann uh, may have murdered?
1: I think that was uh, either two or three years before or two or three years after. If I'm remembering correctly, I'm thinking it was two people that he had shot and wound up getting off on both of them as self-defense. And Dale was a big man, as you can remember, I mean,
0: he was about six foot four, weighed about uh two hundred and eighty pounds, yeah, something like that. He was country strong and uh healthy as a horse and um did you like the, did you like Dale man? I thought the world of Dale Dale was who I broke in wrestling under. I always liked him myself, but then you know you you just knew I just um had heard that you don't mess with Dale, yeah and uh Anyway, I I liked his family, and I liked Dale. And, um, you know, I'm not here to besmirch his reputation, but, you know, the people of the Genius cast deserve to know the truth. So is there anything you'd like to say about Dale before we go?
1: Dale was always good to me. He always treated me with respect. And, you know, he was a lot like – he reminded me a lot of your brother Randy because after ICW quit running Monticello, Dale started, and you know, he always made time to talk to me, just like Randy always did whenever I was younger.
0: I always liked Dale Man, also. So anyway, Jonathan, I want to say thank you for being on the Genius Cast, and uh, I appreciate your candor. Thank you, sir. Hope you don't get in any trouble over it. Uh, I don't care about he. Well, I mean, if, if if any of his family members resent you talking about him, you know, there could be, um, you could be the next in line.
1: Nah, I don't think. The only one left. Well, he's got his youngest boy was a big basketball star at Russell County for a while, but he's up into his probably thirties now, late twenties or thirties.
0: I remember one of his one of his sons was deaf. Mike, yeah, uh,
1: was probably the one you remember
0: because
1: mm-hmm. he still works. Well, he worked up until about probably fifteen years ago, and he got completely out of it. I still talk to Mike from time to time, but I always thought a lot of Dale. He was, he always treated me good.
0: Well, you've been listening to Jonathan Dobbs from Henderson, Kentucky, formerly from Monticello and a very dear friend of the Poffo family. And I want to thank you for being on our show.
1: You're very welcome, sir. Thank you for having me.
0: All right. Bye-bye. After hearing Jonathan Dobbs, we know even less than we did before. (laughs)
2: <laughs> well, you say that, but he did divulge a lot more information than we knew about before that. It was possibly Dale man acting out of self-defense rather than a premeditated thing. What I liked about the interview was you were kind of like a detective trying to pry more information out of it. That was really great. That was a good touch. But um, just like we've heard about before is that, you know, the workers had nothing but nice things to say about Dale. So uh, by all accounts, and even you said so, he was a nice man but seemed to have put himself in situations where he had to defend himself. And ultimately, two people lost their lives as a result of this. But, you know, who doesn't enjoy a good crime conversation and bringing it to our listeners on the Genius Cast? Having him come on our show, Jonathan, a man who knew Dale, share his side of things, what a treat! Absolutely. If you were involved or you saw something that you think would be interesting to talk about on our show, get in touch with us at geniuscast at ProWrestlingStories dot com or via one of our social media accounts at theGeniusCast. So, speaking of gossip, did you hear about the latest Jim Cornette rant?
0: Oh, brother! Tell me about it.
2: David Arquette, who you know was the WCW champion at one point, coming in from Hollywood. Got the belt. That rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. And he's on a road to redemption at the moment. He's training to wrestle. He's been doing a couple shows. And he recently got involved in a death match. For those who do not know, death matches involve lots of weapons, a lot of bleeding, a lot of barbed wire, glass, you name it. He didn't know what he was getting himself into. And Jim Cornette let loose on Arquette on his podcast recently. And he said... David Arquette, still a big wrestling fan, wants to redeem himself. He's trying to take the heat off himself and show that he still respects the business. There's a lot of nice people, you know, a nice person's also fucking stupid. David Arquette from all accounts is a nice guy, but he's got to be stupid. Once again, these fucking low-class outlaw, mud show promoters and marks are taking advantage of this guy being a celebrity. So David Arquette gets booked in a death match with Nick Gage. This is the guy that was an outlaw combat zone hardcore garbage wrestler that robbed a bank without a mask on. Death matches are a style of wrestling like German shit porn are a style of cinema. Cornette continued I'm sitting here watching these two dumb, stupid motherfuckers cutting and slicing each other up. They're obviously poorly trained and they're using gimmicks that won't work for them. They are the geeks in the sideshow. The bank robber geek beats up the B movie geek. It's not courage, it's stupid. If you don't want to be considered a geek, don't involve yourself in something like this. Now, David Arquette, he heard the rat and he responded on social media saying, Finally heard Jim Cornette talk shit about me. He had some strong points, missed most of the obvious ones. One point I'd like to make is you don't have to be an asshole to share your opinion. Jim saw that. He responded, how would I come to Hollywood and make some shitty movies and embarrass your profession like you did mine? Stick to being a fan. We're fine. Trying to wrestle and doing garbage matches with bank robbers will not endear you to me. Free advice. Or you could just fuck off. <laughs> and then it continued from there. We don't need to go further than that. Now, I want to ask you, what are your thoughts of people coming in from other forms of entertainment into wrestling?
0: Well, let me ask you. Is it illegal? Not illegal. Well, if it was illegal, they should be thrown in jail or be put to death. But since it's not illegal, if they want to do it, let them.
2: Right. It's it's kind of like one of those things like, right, you stick to your form of entertainment. I'll stick to mine. You know, you stay on your side of the playground. We'll stick to ours. You know, I think what... David Arquette is doing is endearing. He is trying to maybe not prove to others, but prove to himself that he can go in the ring. But he has to know what he's getting into. You know, death matches is no place for somebody who's just starting off. He caught himself really badly on the neck. He had to go to the hospital. Could have been a lot worse than it was. Jim Cornette makes a lot of great points. Of course, he adds a bit of flavor to what he's saying. And I think Arquette, he responded calmly as he could have in that situation.
0: Well, like I said, is it illegal?
2: Not illegal.
0: No. No. If he wants to do it, that's the great thing about our country, freedom of speech and freedom of expression. You know, anybody can do anything they want as long as it isn't illegal.
2: Well, we are very excited to say that we've got X-Pac Sean Waltman on this week's show. He reached out to us. It was on your brother's birthday, actually. We had shared out a photo saying happy birthday to Randy. He struck up a conversation in private and he was very excited to come onto our show, which we're very happy about. It was an honor to talk to him. We're thrilled to have him on our show. We're going to bring you that interview now.
0: Thanks, nice. Thanks, You think you could tell us what to do? Yeah. You think you could tell us what to <laughs> win? Yeah. <laughs> you think you
1: better?
2: Ladies and gentlemen, it is our distinct honor to have a man who's gone by many names in the business of professional wrestling—the Kid, the Lightning Kid, the Kamikaze Kid, the One Two Three Kid, Six X Pac—a man who really doesn't need an introduction. Sean Waltman, thank you for being with us on the Genius Cast today.
3: Thank you, and you gave me a nice one, anyways. I appreciate it. <laughs> I love having conversations with a longtime friends. So, um, these are these are fun for me. This isn't work or anything at all.
2: Absolutely. So how do you and Lanny know one another?
3: We knew each other a little bit in W C W but mainly just through you know, I, I was friends with Randy and Lanny's mother and father were incredibly nice to me. And not just me, but all the all the guys coming all the men and women coming up and wrestling down to Florida, uh, when I was coming up. So I mean I'm just I've always been grateful to, to Lanny, uh, Randy, and, and their, their family.
0: Plus, we have a friend in common, Boris Maximilianovich Malenko.
3: That's right. <laughs> Mr. TV announcer. <laughs> <laughs> right.
0: Yes. He's been working in Florida with uh, Gordon Soley for 30 years, and he calls him Mr. TV announcer. <laughs> he doesn't know his name yet.
3: And also, also in Houston, too. Uh, the, the, was it Boyd Pierce in Houston?
0: Boyd Pierce, yes. Yeah, we should have got him on our show because he, he was—he was great, but he passed away about twenty years ago. Um, what a dresser he
3: was, huh, Larry
0: Well, he got his material from like upholstery, you know, and then made suits out of it. Anyway, and I remember you at the funeral of uh, of Larry Simon. So, you know, we're all in the same uh, Florida clique. But now you've moved on to Los Angeles.
3: I've been out here for a couple of years now, and. Uh... Uh, I, I work with Maria Manuno. She's my she's my executive producer of my show. That you were uh, nice enough to be a guest on
0: Randy. Lanny, you made a couple million dollar mistake there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. no, it's early out here.
3: <laughs> yeah, but so you know, I I came out here, I'm surrounded with, with amazing people and, and life is great. And uh and so and and it's really cool just to be uh, you know, in this in this podcasting world, um, and having, just having great conversations with, you know, like I was saying earlier with, with, uh, friends and, and, you know, and making new friends too. So, and, and I loved, Hey, and you guys also, um, I really love listening to your podcast. You're an amazing, uh,
0: storyteller. Oh, thank you. You know, once upon a time <laughs> anyway. So Sean,
2: you started off quite young. You had a background in martial arts. Tell us a bit about that. Well,
3: I started doing take one dough when I was, when I was about 10, I was a child of, you know, a single, single parent home. And I, and uh, so I, I didn't have a lot of supervision. It was, it was what gave me any kind of discipline that I do have. It came from that because I wasn't really, uh, you know, I wasn't a great student. I didn't, you know, I, didn't, I dropped out of school by um Anyway, so, so the rest, the, the martial arts stuff was, was uh, invaluable. Like, honestly, it was, it was my equalizer. It was what allowed me to uh, be successful in, in, in wrestling. And, you know, to this day, I still, I still use that stuff. But um,
1: yeah, no, it was just,
3: you know, just basically take one though. And, and, uh, and, you know, you start l- learning other things and, uh, and all that, but, you know, wrestling was always my, my first love, So that was just a means to be in, you know, being in wrestling for me.
2: A lot of people say, um, you know, martial arts, any type of combat sport was what taught them discipline. You know, myself, I I was brought up in a single parent home, too. And, you know, I did Taekwondo as well. And it was that type of setting that kind of sets you straight, you know, and it starts putting thoughts of ambition in your head, you know, and it was good that that was there for you. You got your start in the WWF the day after WrestleMania nine. But a few months before that, your career almost came to a screeching halt. For those who don't know, the kamikaze kid, Bill Wilcox, he overshot a suicide dive and landed directly on your head, which drived it right into the concrete and you had a blood clot near your brain. You were hospitalized for three days, you couldn't work for four months, and you were advised to give up wrestling completely. Man, that sounds horrendous. Uh, what was it like going from being told that your career in wrestling was potentially over in november 92 to being on national television scoring an upset win over Fraser ramon in wwf six months later
3: yeah that was the bad one honestly though you know even though you hear these things from doctors you know back then you know we're that age and especially when you know when you become a wrestler and you think that you know you know we're, we're kind of like i don't know about other other guys but you know um you feel kind of superhuman. You know, like you can handle anything. And I just, I wasn't really hearing it. You know, I knew I needed to take a, I I needed to take a few, uh, a few months off, you know, because I could do, I could feel it. You know, my head, I could feel my head wasn't right. Kind of stayed the course, you know. Um, I I was, you know, maybe we're too stupid to be scared. I don't know if that's the right way of putting it. But, uh, but, you know, it was, it was brutal. It was, what I was diagnosed with, with acute hematoma, brain Oof. and uh yeah it was pretty bad it, and it was the second major head trauma i experienced uh uh in my life the first one being when i i saw in the shower in gym class uh like in, in middle school i had a really bad uh really bad concussion then so uh i got up to an early start on head trauma
2: Absolutely. You you were, what, 20 years old when you experienced that in the ring. Yeah. So, of course, being told your ring career is over, I don't blame you for just sticking to the course and not listening. It's interesting that that angle you had with Razor, Scott Hall, you had another head injury. When you were having that $10,000 in a bag match, you fell off the top rope onto the exposed concrete below. Bad luck with your head.
3: Yeah. Yeah, it was another one. The problem with that one, though, and I was just talking about this on my show the other day, is that then. See, I didn't even go to the hospital after that, and and that was a major head trauma. Uh, not just my head; but my, my whole body was messed up from that fall. Uh, I, I couldn't even walk the next
2: day. That was nasty. I mean, and on national television too.
3: And and it was you know they we had pulled the we had pulled the mat back, and so that was the concrete was exposed. Uh, but I don't even know exactly, you know, the, how bad the nature of the injury was because I never went to the hospital.
2: So wow,
3: yeah,
2: WWE would not be able to get away with that today.
3: It wouldn't be something they would want to get away with now. See, back back then, you know, we just we did what we had to do. You know, I had an agent come in, like, okay, so right after that match, you know, I'm all messed up, and you know. Um, an agent comes back. We used to do multiple TV tapings in one night, and the agent comes back and is like, hey, um, you know, you have another match with Reno Riggins in a little bit. It's your call. So, you know, when, when whenever you ask a wrestler, a pro wrestler, hey, you know, can you do it? It's your call. 100% of the time, going to go, yeah, I'm good, regardless of whether we are or not. So that's how it was back then. It's not like that now, thank God.
2: Thank God. No, indeed. I don't even know how you mustered up Willpower to continue that match, and then, of course, to wrestle after that. It must have been a blur.
3: and it's what I loved doing, and I was twenty years old. You right, <laughs> twenty years old, we
2: could invincible. Yeah, man. Three head traumatic injuries by twenty—that's crazy. How was that pitched to you both, and what was Scott's reaction to the angle when he was being told this in the back?
3: Uh, Scott, I was something I was just pitched like a day of the show. You no, know, that was like. You know, probably a month out, Scott and Scott knew about it, and he was all for it. He's smart. Scott's one of the smartest guys ever in wrestling, and and other people, when it happened, looked at it and thought maybe he was in trouble. You know, like maybe he failed a drug test or he was being punished. Mm-hmm. And you know, that whole thing was designed not only to bring me in and introduce me, but to turn him babyface, and it was genius. It was ingenious. And Scott knew it. Scott knew what a good idea it was. And it's just, as, you know, so many people are so short-sighted, you know, and they thought, they, they oh, he just got beat by a guy no one knows, you know, and they say, he must be in trouble, you know. Most important moment of my career, that, that particular moment right there.
2: I mean, it shot you straight to being on the top of the fan favorite list for many fans. It was hard not to root for you as the underdog, especially someone so young and fresh-faced. Now, in Survivor Series 93, you had a chance to wrestle alongside the Macho Man. What are some of your favorite memories of Randy? Oh,
3: wow. I was just, because, I mean, well, obviously Survivor Series just passed, so, you know, you see a lot of clips of past Survivor Series, and that was one that was going around a lot, was uh, Randy teamed with Scott and Marty Jannetty and I, and what an incredible honor, you know. Also, when I don't know, it was probably a month later. Mar- Marty and I won the tag titles, and there was Randy right in the ring celebrating with us. Right, like those types of endorse- endorsements from Macho Man Randy Savage were, you know, not not the world, you know, and they were real. They were, it wasn't just like, hey, we want you to go do this. That was Randy wanting to do it you know, which was amazing to
2: me. That's awesome. How was he in the back? Did he ever pull you aside and give you advice being so, I mean, you were 21 when that was happening, so still very new to it all. Did Did he ever pull you aside, take you under his wing?
3: It wasn't like that. It was, it was I mean, things were said and, and all that, but it wasn't a... I never, that wasn't really how he did it from what, from what I could tell, you know, like there would be conversations that we were got riding in the car or it was a lot of times it was just me shutting up and listening, you know, mm-hmm. even though back then, like I probably should have shut up more than I did, you know, when Randy was in the car, I, worked, I, I definitely made sure I listened.
2: So Very early on also, you were taken under the wing of the clique. I know wrestling fans love to read and hear stories about what went on backstage during that time. What are some of your favorite moments with them off camera?
3: The click, the click was just Scott, John, Kevin and I, Paul wasn't there yet. Didn't call us up to click. We didn't, we just wanted, we just tried to stick together because we knew like that, you know, their strength and numbers and in the industry, like, you know, it's not that common for guys to stick together. It's just not. And so, you know, uh, but if, if if you're able to do it, it works. If, but you know the guys sticking together have to have something they bring to the table, though. You know, like so. Uh, it was a, It was just a group of friends. It wasn't like you know hey, we have this group. and It's called the Click. That was a that was a derogatory name given to us. You know, like it was Davy and Lex kind of came up with that. Well, Lex, Lex, Lex gives all the credit to Davy, but. You know, Davy's no longer with us. We we can't ask him about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we weren't very popular at all. I totally understand why.
2: <laughs> in hindsight, looking back. Yeah, but we weren't. You know what? Though? We weren't
3: running from here. We weren't running from you know most popular. We were trying to survive in a really cutthroat uh, time in our industry.
2: Don't blame you guys. Don't blame you at all. Now, in 96, you left the WWF for WCW, and when you were there, you took on the name Six and joined the NWO as their sixth member. What was the difference between working WCW and WWF?
3: Organization, or the lack thereof. Just, you knew what you were doing a lot more when you were in WWE or WWF. It was just, I'm trying to figure out how to compare it to something for people to understand what I mean. I just can't. It just... You know, there was a lot of, there was different people I don't
2: know. It's just hard to explain. We had Jeff Jarrett on last week and he was explaining how, you know, he was talking about WCW and, you know, the NWA as well. And there's a lot of chiefs, a lot of decision makers. And with the WWE, the buck stops with Vince. And so you knew where you were, you knew the direction. And he says, and that's why. They're still in the game, and a lot of these yeah. other companies are not. So that could possibly be one of the reasons as well.
3: Well, there's that, and that's part of it. Because, like, okay, in WWE you have Vince McMahon; he's the boss, and he also knows the business, you know, um, top to bottom. And in WCW you have Eric, who you know, not that he didn't know the business, but he didn't know it like Vince, and 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 so Eric had to rely on different people, you know. Vince could book, you know, write TVs himself. Eric needed someone to do that type of stuff. You know, uh, just all those different jobs that Vince could do. Eric had to have someone else do it. And so, yeah, I, I totally, I, I totally see where Jeff's coming from with that. Yeah, for sure.
0: Well, plus the WCW, they were working with OPM, other people's money. Vince was working with his own money and, uh, you know, he was always in the trenches and he's still in the trenches.
3: Yep, that's exactly right.
2: When you were healing from a neck injury, you received termination from Eric Bischoff via FedEx. Not exactly the best way to be delivered bad news when you're off with an injury. What was your relationship like with Bischoff, and what's it like today?
3: I love Eric. Uh, we didn't love him too much back then, though, and I don't think he loved me. It's easy back then, and especially when you receive a, a you know letter of termination by FedEx like to, to get real stuff. Yeah. The thing about it is, is what was he supposed to do? Like fly me down to Atlanta have me, you know, wait, you know, wait in the lobby and then call me into his office and fire me down and then send me home. You know, I think we're pissed off if he would have done that wasted my time, you know, fly me somewhere, you know, yeah, he could have gotten on the phone, uh, and done it, but you know, it was fine. You know, um, Looking back on it, I don't have as, as big a problem with it now.
2: And the way you put it, yeah, I mean, if you were to jump on a plane, go through all that effort, only to been sat down and said, sorry, you know, oh, yeah. that would have been a bigger blow.
3: Big time. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, and, and, and it was, you know, um, obviously it did me a huge favor. My career, went, like, skyrocketed when <laughs> I came back to WWE. <laughs> Are
2: you ready? They think you
0: could tell us what to do?
2: March of 98, you returned, transitioned from the, the kid to X-Pac on WWE television, and you had an incredibly memorable run with DX. What are some of your favorite memories from that time in your career? Did you feel like you were going back home?
3: Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. And, and, and I'm going to be honest with you. I always knew I'd end up back there. always did no matter how bad we were kicking their ass. I, n- I never thought, okay, they're going out of business. Never. No way. Not even close. You know how I said that, uh, when I beat Scott as, as Razor, that was the most important moment of my career. Uh, re- returning that night was second most important.
2: That was huge
3: in there and, 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 and uh, saying the things I said in the ring and, you know, Get it, make an impact that day coming back, you know, and, you know, starting the second version of DX that night, almost as important as the victory over us.
2: Yeah. As a fan, things were kicking off. You knew you were part of something special. Like every single day you're getting such a huge reaction from the crowd. If you could just choose a couple memories of that, you know, when you just knew, right, something's happening here. This is special.
3: Well, I knew that as soon as we were done with, the, with my initial, uh, in-ring promo night after WrestleMania. And then when we start doing, like, these vignettes on the streets of New York City and just the, the reaction from the people on the streets, yeah, we knew we were on the something. And I already felt it, felt that kind of feeling, you know, from the from the NWO stuff, because the truth is, is, like, the NWO thing is, is what kicked up the whole second wrestling, or the whole, you know, They call it the Attitude Era because WWE won, but really it was the Monday Night Wars era, if that makes any sense. Because, you know, uh, WCW started heating up before WWE did.
2: You got to be part of two iconic factions in DX and the NWO. If you were to have DX up against the NWO in their heyday, and if this was to happen, who do you got on top?
3: Depends on where
2: I'm
3: at. You know, we did this you know when when Sting worked with, with Hunter at WrestleMania, I ended up in the DX side. People ask me, "Hey, how come you ended up with there?" I'm like, "Well, that's where they put me." And also, I made way more money with DX. When people go, "Oh, which one do you like better?" I'm like, honestly, you know, NWO was great, but DX was. We had you know all this freedom to do what we wanted, and we make an all kinds of money and had an all kinds of fun.
2: Absolutely.
3: It was just amazing. And, you know, so you know, I understand why you do, but I don't look at it like who would beat who in a in a in a match.
2: <laughs> That's something a fan would ask. I guess not somebody uh, who's living through it.
3: <laughs> yeah.
2: But you guys had some iconic moments. I don't want to knock what's happening on television, but it, it just doesn't have that same feel anymore.
3: Think about this He we went and did that stuff in, in Atlanta where we had the uh, the army jeep with the Hotcher cannon on the back of it. Right. And we mocked, uh, blew up CNN Tower. Could you imagine if we did that today? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, you know, just the whole aiming a gun, at, aiming the cannon at CNN Tower alone would you know, probably have us in jail.
2: You would have been having to answer a lot of questions from the FBI and the police and everything else, not to mention the, the stockholders. Yeah. You know and things like this. It's just different times, unfortunately. China played a huge role in your life. I'd like to hear your thoughts on whether or not you think she should go into the WWE Hall of Fame. She
0: was uh, fantastic and remarkable and wonderful and great. And if she doesn't go in the Hall of Fame, you should tear the thing down.
2: Yeah, I agree. It's a matter of when. Yeah, long list of legends who should be in and aren't, but, you know, hopefully people don't have to wait till death to be inducted.
3: I know, right? Because, I. Especially when they're only inducting one posthumous induction a year. Like, there's too many people dying. Like, that, that should be going up.
2: They should get rid of that rule. You know what I mean? It just limits them to one a year. Forget it. I mean, yeah. it's for the families and the fans' sake, you know what
0: I mean? Oh, yeah.
3: Here's the thing. As far as China Hall of Fame, I just think it's a matter of when. and um, Hopefully sooner rather than later.
0: Yeah, but it should have been sooner because she should have been alive to enjoy it. Oh, for sure. Yeah, Yeah. You know, like, like, for example, you know, I made this speech for my brother, and he said, oh, was a great speech. I said, no, it wasn't. Randy should have done it. Why wasn't Randy there to do it? You know what I mean? They had all those years, and then they waited for that. You see what I mean? I am an imposter of the brother. You know what I mean? And, uh, it, I mean, I'm the last man standing, so I had to do it. So, um, but wouldn't it have been great if one last, ooh, yeah.
3: Oh, God, yeah, of course. You know? And we were hoping for that. And when I say we, I mean everyone. Uh, when you know, when when Randy had, you know, there was a little thing that Randy did that played at Comic Con, and I think yes, it was, yes. was it for yes. And it gave it gave us all so much hope, you know, that there might be some, you know, uh, reconciliation there.
0: He had the greatest line. He says, "And it looks just like me. Not now, but then." <laughs> It was great. I said, "Man, that was great. That was that's about as funny as it gets." <laughs> you know, <laughs> Oh man, you're only five years older than the likes of
2: AJ Styles. What's yep. next for you? Do you think that you could have another run if you wanted to?
3: It depends on on what kind of run. Like I can have a sprint. I can't have a marathon, and I don't want it. I don't want it, man. Like you know, I'm at this. It would it would strictly be just a, a money grab. Mm-hmm. and uh, um, you know I'd like to still go out and I still have matches but uh, you know no I'm not I, I you know people they talk about like your age or whatever but I I'd like to say it like this it's not the age of the car it's the miles right you know and and I, I'm, I'm not that I'm not that much older than AJ but you know relatively speaking I have way more miles on my body at a younger age than he
0: did. That's so. true. Well, I saw you wrestling in Tower, Minnesota, and you still got it.
3: Oh, come on, manny I just, that was
0: terrible. <laughs> Thank you, though. I was a horror for even accepting the booking. <laughs> and I said, well, it's a 10-man tag team match. I guess I do 20% of the stuff, you know, and I said, and then they were, everybody was, I said, listen, um, can I just hold the rope and do very little? Because, <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't belong out here. So, uh but you know what a horror, huh? I'm, you know, the price is right. I'll be there tonight. Hey, that's all of us, Randy. That, uh, Randy. I mean, sorry, sorry. It's another millions and millions geez. of dollars. What a mistake you're making! Uh, you know. realize the box <laughs> office alone, you're, you're. <laughs> it's like you got the, you got the. I am the Marty Jannetty of the Poffo family here. You know. Oh. I didn't mean to say Listen, no, no. It's, a, it's an expression, right? It's an expression. Yeah, I, I did not mean that in a bad way, but um, Sean Sean Michaels is one of the greatest workers ever to live, you know. So, and they were both great. So
3: Marty was amazing, and Marty was amazing too.
0: Yes, he was. Yes, he was.
3: It's just you know, I think of Marty, it it makes me sad. That's all. That's all because you know, like a lot of us have you know, go through, we wander through the through the darkness and, and you know, some of us don't make it. Some of us end up coming out the other side and some of us just stay in the darkness and it just seems like that's what's going on with Marty and, and, it, and yes. it makes me sad because I love the guy.
0: Yeah, I love him too and I apologize and I take it back. That was rude of me. No, but, no, no.
3: I, yeah. no it's, that, I, you didn't you don't say anything, you know, it's just when you brought his name up it just made me sad because you know, as we get older, we hope that our friends, you know, pull through all this shit.
0: How was he with his feet? He had like a bad foot. What was that? Uh, is that going to get better? Yes. Yeah. I don't
3: think so. It was so bad. I don't. Do you ever remember seeing Butch Miller's ankle?
0: Yes. Yes, and uh, he's had it's like that. Butch Miller. Um, they have socialized medicine in, uh, you know, in New Zealand. And he had his feet, uh, he has ankles broken and reset, so he's like two inches shorter, and uh, but his feet are finally straight.
3: But he no longer has
0: ankles. No ankles and no uh, no movement on his feet, but at least he's not walking on his, um, you know, like that was so bad in the shower that was like terrible.
3: Right. Yeah. So yeah, no, that's that's how that's how um, Marty's ankle is.
0: When you see uh, Butch Miller's feet in the shower, it was really sad because he was, uh, um, you know, he was a rugby player and he's, you know, he's had some mileage. So uh, I don't know what happened to his feet, but uh, they're, they looked like they're stuck on there with crazy glue. And then what I understand is they broke his ankles, the doctors did, and then reset it. And now he's two or three inches shorter, no mobility, but at least he's walking on his feet. Instead of his ankles.
3: Yeah. And those guys, they used to wear, like, they were kind of like camouflage-looking snow boots. And they had no ankle support. And and they didn't help things either, you know, like the, the boots those guys wore.
0: Yeah, and they were, uh, they were hardcore before hardcore was cool. Yeah, they were. <laughs> hey, did, did the Kiwis ever come to ICW? No, they never did. And, um, but they did come to Memphis, but, um... Luke Miller was teamed with Jonathan Boyd um so that was like um not the same because Butch is like you know the star of the show, you know what I mean, and uh Jonathan Boyd, not so much, am I right, yeah, not so much, well, you know, one was special and one was a uh, run of the mill. I don't like to be cruel about it, you know, because uh it's the way I saw it um Jonathan Boyd was good, but uh. Butch Miller was kind of special, wasn't he?
3: Yeah, he was. Yeah, especially on the mic.
0: Oh, man. Hey,
3: hey, hey. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Those guys were great. Did, did you hear the Hall of Fame speech?
0: It was great, yes. I was uh, I was in the back. And what was really great about it was, you know, they had that boy with the cancer b- before, you know, they would, and uh, everybody was so upset. And then they came out there and livened it up before, you know, um Cause that we had it seen you know what I mean? It was, it took the fans from a low to a great height, you know? And then, um, I was in the back. I came out about an hour later, but, um, they really, uh, had a lot of fun out there. And, uh, that's what the Bushwreckers were all about. Um, you bought a ticket to see them. You got a good time.
3: Oh yeah. They were fun. They were fun. They were fun to be on the road with, for sure. Yay, yay. <laughs> oh, hey, Lanny, you remember how, like, time, like especially when business was down, they, they, they'd tell you, hey, mate, thanks for the house.
0: <laughs> yes, I remember. Yes, they did. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, um, when I was leaping Lanny for five years, and then they made me the genius, but, the you know, and I was late to TV. And then, um, so what happened was, you know what, Vince would put a memo in your paycheck, you know, at TV. And, and in, the, the mem- in the memo, it said, um, Leaping Lanny will from now on be referred to as the genius. And I didn't know that everybody had gotten the memo. So that Butch Miller wouldn't leave me alone. He goes, "Yay, hey, yay, hey, hey, the genius. Hey, you know, he, he geniused the hell out of me. He geniused me to death. You know, uh, and of course, I just took it, you know, because you can't fight him. You know, just like, well, what are you going to do? It's like when Bobby Heenan um, makes a joke at your expense, I just laughed it off because yeah. I know that if I would try to make a comeback, he would just uh, take me with the Vegematic and just ruin me, you know, because that's how sharp he was, you know. Did
3: they make a rugby song
0: out of it? Oh, you know, I love those rugby songs, man. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know, uh, Butch was a – Some of the ugliest people in the world play rugby, you know, and they got their nose all over here. They don't make any money. They just wear the jersey, you know, of the town. And um, there's only a few in the, you know, that get to make money with rugby. But everybody else just gets their bodies ruined.
2: Tell me about your podcast. I want you to plug it on our show and where people can find it. My
3: podcast, you could find, well, it's on iTunes and Google Play and all the other you know almost all the other you know places where people get you know listen to their podcast uh you can you can watch it on YouTube cuz we have an incredible uh studio that we do from and and so it plays as a TV show as well and and you know I it's we we have a, the first segment we talk about you know what's going on you know current events stuff in wrestling and and uh and then the second segment we do an interview and 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 you know, some sometimes it's people I've known for a long time, and other times it's it's you know, newer newer people you know in the wrestling world. And and uh, and I try to keep it positive. Like I don't like to go. You know, um, you know every now and again, sometimes you know, things happen, and you know, uh, and that. But for the most part, I like to just keep it positive and not just you know. There's a lot of podcasts now that like. Divisive, you know, and uh, you know, and I, I just try to avoid that. I wrestling used to be a place where, you know, um, it brought everyone together and not divided people, and I like to keep it that way.
2: I love that attitude. I love that approach. I mean, we feel the same way over here.
0: And I love Maria Menounos. You know, I was watching when Bob Backlund got inducted into the hall of fame and yeah. Maria Menunos gave the speech and she gave a fantastic speech and those people of Madison square garden, some of them booed her. And I said, you sorry ass people, you know, this, yeah. this beautiful woman was giving a fantastic speech about one of the greatest wrestlers in our generation, you know, of that, of his generation, Bob Backlund. And what kind of suck thing is that? You know what I mean? And, uh, She's more beautiful than a diva. And um and that's the kind of respect they gave her. But you know what? She just kept her composure, kept her class, and she just gave she just kept on with her speech and I said, Man, what class she has. Maria Manuno's I'm a fan of hers.
3: Because I honestly her and her husband Kevin, um the um when people ask me how, why am I doing so great right now in, in my life, and I have to give them a huge amount of credit for that because they believe in me, and, and they're the ones that brought me out here to L.A. and uh, and they give me these amazing resources like the AfterBuzz TV studios that I do my show from, and uh, and they're just so giving and uh, and so altruistic, and and and, uh, and and also just the hard work and and the and work ethic that you can uh that you pick up just being around them you know it's it's so important that the people like you know there's a like an expression or saying like the five people you surround yourself with are who you are like uh and you know so that's what I've done lately I just I surrounded myself with amazing people and it's really made it's, it's given me an incredible
0: life you know she caught me being uh uh, being the genius, being ridiculous, you know. Because when I met her after the Hall of Fame speech, and you know, and she was really nice, and I said, "Kalispera, Maria," she says, "Oh, you speak <laughs> Greek?" And I said, "No, I can say Kalispera, Maria. That's all I can say." But uh, I was hoping I would get to meet you, so I practiced, you know. For uh, but I can't uh, speak the Greek. You know what I mean? Uh, the genius Here. was a work it was a work it was not a real so but at least it, what it means is a good evening Maria is all it was you know in Greek
3: yeah now she she, and she loves wrestling so much and you know and she's such a big star and she wants to help you know she wants to use that to, to help shine a good light on wrestling and you know I, I wish I wish more people appreciated that about her involvement in wrestling
0: well how many New Yorkers does it take to change a light bulb <laughs>
3: Tell
0: me, <laughs> How many New Yorkers does it take to change a light bulb? None of your fucking business. <laughs>
3: exactly. that's about it. So
0: that's, that's, that's about because it. I'm still angry with the fans in Madison square garden for booing the most beautiful woman I've ever met. Maria Menounos. Take that to the yeah, bench. Exactly. Sean, it warmed my heart seeing
2: you on television during that takeover event just the other weekend. And you had your dog with you, your adorable dog. Tell our listeners about her.
3: I found Lula a year and a half ago, April 27th of last year, actually. And, uh, she was wandering, wandering into traffic and she was full of dried up blood or not. Her, her jaws is broken. She's blind in the right eye. And, you know, long story short, she's with me now. And, uh, and she's my traveling companion. Uh, she's the best road, like road partner I've ever had, you know? Um, and, uh, she doesn't talk back. She doesn't, you know, she doesn't bitch and complain about everything and uh and uh, what a blessing and she brings a lot of joy wherever she goes and i'm I'm you know what it's an amazing blessing that, that that's been given to me finding her
2: it's like finding each other at the right moment for both of you,
0: yeah, and I'm going to be uh punished if I don't say something speaking of you know I met your dog and everything and every you know when we were in Massachusetts. Um Dr yeah. Bob de and Dr. Marty Urban would be very, very angry with me if i didn't say hello from them, and they miss you very much
3: and I miss them and especially especially Marty, who um gave me a lot of and that and thank you lanny for, for introducing me to to dr urban and my mouth my mouth thanks you as I have a lot less <laughs> rotten teeth in my mouth right now
0: <laughs> well i'll tell you i'll tell you what though uh I'm very stingy about who I invite, you know, because I'm yeah. looking for I'm looking for people that aren't going to um he's got a fantastic collection of memorabilia from World War 1 and different uh, Olympics and wrestling and everything. I was only inviting people that aren't going to leave with their pockets bulging with stolen goods. So that's why you were invited. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Uh, well, you know, they
0: used to, you know,
3: he used to say, Hey, if you, if you come across something good, don't, don't tell the other boys cause they'll just ruin it.
0: Right. That's why uh, I was very fastidious <laughs> about who I invited, you know? Yeah. And, and they said, you're always welcome back too. I'm grateful for that.
3: What an it mean like I get there, you know, real quick story. I get there and, and, uh, and pull into the driveway and the garage opens up and there's the Harley Davidson from, uh. Uh, uh, from Rocky, was it Rocky Three? Pretty badass.
0: Oh man, he's got Olympic medals from Jesse Owen. and he—if he wanted to—I think I think his collection costs more than his house. If he wanted to, you know. But he loves, you know, collecting memorabilia, you know. And uh, anyway, I want to say thank you to Sean for being such a great guest. You really made our show much better. We appreciate it, and. If there's anything I can do for you, like go back on your show or if I'm ever in Los Angeles, I'll drop in on the studio.
3: Oh, uh, I'd love that.
0: You know what I mean? We are, I don't, um, you have a lot of friends I don't, okay? And um, I really like you a lot and I'll do anything for you and I want to thank you for doing this for us.
3: It was an honor to be invited on your show uh, and I thank the world of you and, um, and thank you. I, I, I'm really, I'm really grateful for those words. I mean, I really can't wait to see you again soon, my friend.
0: Excellent.
2: Sean, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for being on our show, and it was good to meet you.
3: You too, JV. I hope to meet you in person.
2: Same here. All the best to you, and we hope to get you on again soon. You guys have a wonderful day. I right, thank you. All right, you as well. Take care. Bye-bye. bye bye We cannot thank Sean Waltman enough for being on our show. Man, what stories there? I mean, starting off his career by being told that he can never wrestle again after having that traumatic injury, just six months later, hitting his head on the exposed concrete when he was in his $10,000 in a bag match against Razor Ramon, and then, of course, having you know further injuries after that. Sean Waltman's a fighter, a fantastic wrestler. We thank him for the entertainment and what he's done for the business.
0: And he was not a plaintiff in the class action lawsuit against the WWE for head injuries. How about that?
2: He's a person who's gone through a lot of hardship. And just for us to know that he's doing fine, he's got his podcast, which really you need to check it out. It's a really fantastic show. Lanny, you were on his show. And at the moment, he's just celebrating life, putting himself around people that make him a better version of him, which is what it's all about. You want to put people around you that make you a better you. I'm happy for his happiness, and I'm just incredibly honored that he'd be on our show.
0: Yeah, he's been a great friend of our family for many, many years, and I'll tell you what, we wish him nothing but the best.
2: We're going to go to our fan questions of the week. The first question comes from Nathan Davis on Instagram. He asks, why did Randy ditch the trunks and start wearing the cutoff top with the long tights during his last WWF babyface run?
0: Because he thought that his physique was slipping. That's why. And he wanted to cover it up. And, um, you know, he was he took a lot of pride in his physique. And um, that's the reason. He wanted to cover it up and uh, just be the macho man. And, uh, you know, he if he didn't have the same physique, he didn't want to show it. So uh, he covered it, and a lot of people do that.
2: Yeah, that's right. You see that happening a lot on television. But, boy, did he look like a million bucks a couple years after that. Well,
0: it fluctuates, doesn't it?
2: It does. This next question comes from John Morris on Instagram. I'm going to give John a quick little plug here. He creates a lot of fantastic canvases of all the greats in wrestling. Definitely worth checking out his Instagram account at John underscore Morris underscore art underscore from underscore the underscore heart come on man you got to come up with an easier handle to say out loud than that but anyway check out his instagram page and you could purchase some of his work through there he asks do you remember your first match in front of an
0: audience and what was it like and what did you feel my first match in front of an audience i was in aurora illinois i wrestled against my father not against him with him Mm -hmm. And it was so good that I thought I was the best wrestler that ever lived. It turned out my father was because it's the blind leading the blind when I was wrestling somebody else. So um, that's what I felt. I was under the misinformation that I was great. And uh, I didn't learn I wasn't great until I had to wrestle somebody else that was green.
2: And that's what it really shows your chops out there.
0: That's right. You're not a great wrestler until you can take a green guy and make him rise to your level. And you know what? I never was able to do it.
2: Now, you don't feel like even in tag matches or whatever that you never uh, went out there and elevated somebody's performance?
0: I didn't elevate anybody's performance. Um,
2: I think you're being very humble.
0: No, yes, okay, I'm being humble, but um, it's still the way I feel about it.
2: Donovan Holmes on Twitter asks, What do you think was the biggest cause for the closure of ICW? The only thing that East Kentucky had to be proud of was the best pro wrestling in the country during the late
0: 70s to 80s. When Randy was invited to the WWF, that's when we had a meeting and decided to disband the ICW. Otherwise, it would still be running.
2: Do you think that there would have been success had you carried on? Or would it have been one of those things that Vince would have got a hold of a couple years later anyway?
0: Well, if history is any judge... Would there be success if we had carried on? No, we would have just carried on. Vince McMahon's momentum was so great that he would have just ignored us to death, and we would have just floundered and flopped.
2: There you go. But a lot of great memories from ICW, guys. Seriously, go on YouTube, check it out, do a search there, and you're going to see some really fantastic work in the past. This next question comes from E.T. Pinnell on Facebook. When is Lanny going to
0: write his autobiography? I would say never. Um, I'd rather talk about it and uh, I've got a comic book which explains my entire career and I bring that to all the comic cons and conventions that I attend and uh, I like to meet the people sign my comic book and uh, that's about the size of that I don't want to write another that's the last thing anybody needs is another biography
2: you can almost think of this show as your audio autobiography as well
0: that's the way I think about it yes
2: our friend Joe Stasi, he's the man who handles the majority of the great photos you see on our Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook accounts at The Genius Cast. He's also the curator of the ICW The Paphos Facebook page. He sent in a clip from a recent Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard episode. Bruce revealed that Randy was responsible for training Shane McMahon. I'm going to pull a quote from Bruce. He said, Randy and I would go to the buildings early in the afternoon after the ring was set up and work with Shane. I was the first one that had to take some of those stiff-ass, crazy tackles from him. I remember the first time he locked up with Randy and Randy telling him to loosen up. It's a dance, not a fight, so loosen up, he would say. We would go into the ring and every day we were on the road, we would get into that ring with him during the day and work out. We would do a little bit here, a little bit there, and then we'd go to the gym and work out again. That was early on when he was just part of the ring crew. Did Randy ever talk to you about training Shane in the ring?
0: No, he never mentioned it, but I knew he was doing it, and I think he did a fantastic job because Shane McMahon is a great talent.
2: He really is. Like, he has no right being as good as he is in the ring, but he continues to kill it each time he performs. It's great to know Randy played a big role in that.
0: Yeah, but some of the role that Shane McMahon plays is just pure guts. You know, I've seen him take bumps. Oh, incredible. You know, and then he stands on the top rope and he drops kick, you know, like he's... Uh, You know, whatever he calls that move. coast to coast or whatever, yeah. Oh, man. I mean, that's physically impossible, and yet he does it. And he's not getting any younger. That guy's got big cojones. I would say. What are your memories
2: of Shane and Steph when you were with the WWF?
0: I believe I met Stephanie just once, and she was with her mother. And uh, she must have been nine years old. And then the next time I saw her was the day after my Hall of Fame. Uh, speech in 2015 Mm -hmm. and she was very very nice to me and she's a lovely lovely person totally different from the bitch that she plays on television
2: right a lot of fans have a hard time separating what they see on tv from the real person and by all accounts people who know her personally outside of the ring have nothing but great things to say about her
0: well she made a good impression on me quickly but very nice
2: This one comes from Soren Vestergaard. We put a question of his on our show last week as well. He says, I for one am dying to know about Randy's experiences wrestling in Japan, the culture, the food, the wrestling. I know he went for WWE slash SWS in 1990 and 91, went back again in 96 with WCW, and I recently found his match with Rick Steiner from January 4, 2000 at the Tokyo Dome and watched it on NJPW World I'd like to know more about that experience, if you know anything about that subject. And, of course, Lanny, you recently traveled there, and you can add your own views on Japan.
0: Well, I, all I can tell you is Randy enjoyed Japan. He was a little vague about his remembrance of it. You know, we didn't sit down and dissect the minutiae of his Japanese trip like we do. Uh, so, anyway, I felt a little jealous because I wanted to go to Japan, and uh, I'm not the kind of guy to... Uh, Buy my own plane ticket, if you know what I mean. I figure it's more fun if um, you're booked in Japan and then you get to see it. So many years passed that I thought I would never get to go. And finally, I got an offer to go to Japan. And that was a few couple months ago. And um, I thought it was a tremendous experience. And I was very, very happy to do it. And now I know. And it's like, if you're asking me, what was it like? You really can't describe it until you go there. And then we can discuss it. But it's very, very clean to be so huge. There's a lot of people there, I mean a lot of people. I mean, oh my God, there's people it's uh it is absolutely I think it's one hundred and seventy five million people in a country in an island the size of California. so when you look out the window, you see people people oh, they need a little birth control there. <laughs>
2: Our last question this week comes from Sebastian. He wrote in via Twitter. He was recently browsing your matches on the WWE Network, and he came across a match between yourself and Kamala. Do you have any stories to share of James Harris?
0: Well, he's a very, very nice person, and I am very, very sorry that he's not doing well. He had diabetes, and he has lost his legs. A lot of people know that he's in that situation um, he had a great gimmick. I remember he was one of the top heels in the eighties and, uh, everybody loved his gimmick. Of course, that gimmick was given to him by Jerry Lawler, who painted a mask for him and did everything and, you know, worked with him and got that gimmick going, but he is from Santa Mississippi. I explained to him that, um, in Uganda, Idi Amin was this and that. And he said, well, I don't know anything about that. And, um. Yes, he's never been to Uganda and he doesn't know a thing about Idi Amin. So, but he knows a lot about his gimmick and how to entertain people.
2: Absolutely. Jerry Lawler, who actually, he, as you mentioned, painted his face, but also painted his belly day in and day out. So, really awesome gimmick. You know, I was a fan of his when I was a kid, a bit scared of him. And then when he had that baby face run, I was pulling for him.
0: If you really want to know about Uganda, there is a movie. Um, The Last King of Scotland or something like that with Forrest Whitaker. Um, and It'll tell you all about the Idi Amin regime. I think I got the title right. The Last King of Scotland or... Yeah, you got it right. And uh, let me just say that Idi Amin was not a nice man. I would like to end this episode on a little poem that I wrote for my daughter when she graduated high school in 2002. I thought to myself, instead of sending a Hallmark card, why don't I just write something from the heart? Perhaps all the wisdom that I've learned and put it in just a few verses that she can keep with her and uh, and learn from it. And it goes, be humble when victorious, be noble in defeat, be there when your neighbor hasn't got enough to eat. Try to love your enemies and always be aware that World Cup or Super Bowl, the tortoise beats the hare.
2: I love that short, sweet and impactful and piffy and piffy. <laughs> it's been another great week. Keep up with us on social media accounts at The Genius Cast. Send us an email if you've got a question at The Genius at prowrestlingstories.com. And check out our YouTube page. We've got clips from every show. It's really picking up momentum over there. Just search The Genius Cast with Lanny Poffo. Hit subscribe, and you'll find some great content there. Until next time. So long. If
0: you can't play a sport, be one. I just want to say not as the genius, not as Leaping Lanny as Lanny Poffo. Thank you to all the fans that made this genius cast a big success. It's a lot of fun to do. I hope it's fun to listen to.
2: We can't thank you enough, guys. And thank you to everyone who's already left a five-star review on iTunes. Every single one of those is going to help our show grow. If you haven't done so already, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at the Genius Cast. We're going to be using those accounts to keep the Potho family memory alive. We had a lot of fun this week, and we can't wait to bring you a new Genius Cast each Monday. So don't forget to subscribe. I'm JP Zarka, and you can find me on Twitter at jpzarka. That's Z like zebra, A R K A. That's it for now. So long and goodbye.
1: You've been listening to the
2: Genius Cast with Lanny Poffo. This has been a ProWrestlingStories.com production. Find them on social media at the Genius Cast, at Lanny Poffo, or at J.P. Zarka. If you'd like to advertise to thousands of dedicated listeners on the show each week, send an email to the
1: Geniuscast at prowrestlingstories.com. Until next time,